Grace, mercy, and peace unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are many things in this life that we assume to be true. Uh, with all the things that have been told to us over the years, um, and we've never gone in and fact-checked them, yet we always just take it at one's word. For example, we assume that you get sick just from being outside in the cold. Nothing can be further from the truth because a cold requires a viral infection, right? Certainly the cold may affect our immune system in a certain way that make us more susceptible to such viruses, but nonetheless, the cold itself does not make us sick. Perhaps another one that you may think is that Viking, horn, Viking helmets always had the horns on them, right? We always depict Vikings with horns on their helmets, but then again, that's if you really think about it, it's really impractical um, and was probably and most definitely not the case. Here's another one for you. Perhaps you've heard all the time, and maybe you've experienced this yourself, so you believe it to be true, that if you give your kids sugar, they are absolutely hyper afterwards. But here's a little fact. The sugar, while it does give you energy, a quick burst of energy, it does not impact your behavior. Behavior is separate from the food that we consume. Many of us cracked our knuckles when we were kids, and maybe even still now, and we're always told that, hey, that's going to cause arthritis for you in the future. That's simply just air exiting the knuckle does not necessarily cause the arthritis, right? And then the icing on the cake, my personal favorite, so when you have, uh, as we were all growing up, and even to our kids today, we tell them if you turn the dome light on in the car, you will inevitably cause an accident. Absolutely cannot be, for, that cannot be further from the truth, right? Maybe you mended a little bit saying that a police officer will pull you over for that, but probably not. <laughs> There's many things that we're told in our life that we assume uh, to be true because of the expectations that come with it, right? Um, and so Jesus begins our gospel reading today by asking his disciples this question. Who do people say that I am? And with what people said that Jesus was came assumptions as to who Jesus is and what he will do. Confessing Jesus as the Christ also comes with assumptions of what we expect he would do. So our assumption of Christ begins first with our confession of who Jesus is. As you mentioned before, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answer. Some say, some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. That may be what they're expecting. They're expecting Jesus to come and continue with baptizing like John and eating locusts and honey in the wilderness. They may be expecting him to do mighty works like Elijah or one of the other prophets and teach. With the title comes expectations as to who we expect Jesus to be. This question is still relevant today. Who do people say that I am? 
There's still people that are asking that question today, and uh, many people have their presuppositions, especially those who are outside the church uh, may consider Jesus to be someone entirely different than what we assume and uh, confess him to be. Some of them may consider him to be simply merely a prophet. If you're uh, from uh, Jewish lines, you may consider that. Or even as a Muslim, right? Uh, you may just view Jesus as simply a prophet at best. Others may view Jesus as merely a teacher, a moral teacher at that. Well, that teaches everybody on how to live a good and right life, the best way to live among people. Um, Others may simply see Jesus as merely an example of which they ought to follow and replicate. And still others see Jesus as just a guy that is depicted as the buddy Jesus that we see on Facebook, right? That's the gun pointing and smiling at you. Many people have expectations as to who Jesus is and what they have heard Jesus has done. But then, the money question. Who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus asked his disciples after hearing what other people said. He now asks his very own disciples who they confess him to be. And we, with Peter, would rightly say that Jesus is the Christ. And perhaps with that title, with that confession comes assumptions and expectations as well. Maybe even expectations that may not be uh, quite so right, just as it was with Peter. Perhaps we have assumptions that makes Jesus simply an insurance policy, as a, something that's in our back pocket in case we really need it. These confessions and Assumptions and things that we expect often, oftentimes and do derive from our own sinful desires and our sinful flesh. We want to make Jesus out who we want him to be, not for who he really is. We may see him as merely a miracle worker, as someone that, can, that we can turn to only in prayer, only when we need times of trouble. And other times, we may deceive ourselves to think that Jesus is not really present and that God is not truly working in this world. Who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus comes teaching who he is. When Jesus teaches us through his word who he is and what he will do, too often do we take offense as to what he says. This is exactly what happens when he starts teaching afterwards regarding all this uh, to his disciples to, to tell them that he must suffer and die at the hands of the Pharisees. And on the third day, rise again. This is not meshing up with what Peter and probably the rest of the disciples are not expecting the Christ to do. Jesus, in telling who he is and what he has done and what he continues to do, implies the things that he will not do for us. And when we hear the things that he will not do, 
it often runs contrary to what we desire him to be and to do. And so, Peter pulls Jesus aside. He's pulling Jesus aside to rebuke Jesus, to let him know, hey, this isn't the way that the Christ thing is supposed to work here, right? You're not supposed to go and die. You're not supposed to suffer. You're supposed to establish a kingdom and oust the Romans and make our lives better. We don't know exactly what Peter's rebuke is, but we do know that it was contrary to what Jesus was, has come to do. And so Jesus then rebukes Peter to teach him. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Our sinful flesh perverts God's will. Our desire to have Jesus roll in and change our society is not what he promises. He does not promise that our lives will be easy and that it will be quiet and peaceable. He does not promise that our congregation will always be peaceable. But what Jesus does promise is that he will work for our salvation. He tells us how he will suffer and die for our salvation on the cross and rise again for our justification. This is what the Christ has come to do. He has come, aside, come to, to have us set aside our expectations, to have our expectations then truly be exceeded by what he truly does, which is win for us the forgiveness of sins. This message that we preach is confessed by us in our lives. It may not always be what we think we need in the moment, but it is which we, that which we need, and it is the most needful. It is the most needful because when we rest in the forgiveness of sins, our expectation as to what Christ does are relieved. It refocuses our eyes on the future hope of which we have that he promises to do. And it realizes that our lives are much more precious to him than anything else in this world. And in our lives, he promises that we will bear crosses for his sake. And we assume that as Christians, our lives will always be peaceable and quiet, that we won't have any struggle in confessing Christ to the world or his word. But the thing is, when we truly embrace God's word and take it to heart and live in accordance with his word and speak according to its word, his word and his ways, we see very quickly that the world's way is contrary to Christ's way. And when it's contrary and it's something that people do not want to hear, it means that we do suffer. Even in ways that, honestly, could be easily avoided if we just remain quiet or not. Or just stay to our little corner and keep our faith to ourselves. 
because of our faith in Christ's word and our faithfulness to his word, we do that which is difficult. Which begs the question, why do the more difficult thing? Why live the Christian life that is difficult to live and confess Jesus rightly to a world that has all sorts of false assumptions and expectations of him? And the answer is this. Because we have the promise that he will confess us to the Father as his people. Our faith in Christ leads us to trust that Jesus will indeed keep his word. That what he has won for us on the cross has achieved something that is precious and we ought not throw it away. That he will come again with the holy angels to take us into his kingdom forever. We assume that he will keep his word because he always has, as he has to Abraham and making Abraham into a great nation, and even for Sarah. And as he has in showing us mercy today and forgiving us our sins at the baptismal font, reminding us of our baptism. And we, we trust that he will then, when he comes again, that he will take us into his everlasting kingdom. Why would this promise of eternal life be any different? But in the meantime, we must live our lives. We must live our lives and work to set aside our sinful desires on what we expect Jesus to do. And instead, we fix our eyes upon him with faithful anticipation that he will do for us what he promises to do, that we may see him in glory that we may see him face to face, and that he will proclaim us to the Father as his children. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. In the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.